tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome, welcome, and again, at the risk of sounding tedious, I want to say thank you again. The, 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 uh, that amazing generosity that, that keeps, all this, keeps all this going. So again, thank you so much, and God bless you and reward you for your, your goodness. That said, um, well, I'm, I'm broadcasting out of our beautiful new studio in Lincolnshire, and I have my mouse firmly under control at the moment. We'll see how long that lasts. Yes, they tend to escape. <laughs> All right. Why do they have to call it a mouse? I suppose it looks like a mouse. Eh, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. And our Blessed Mother, Queen of Peace, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Well, if you don't have a coffee table, you can put it on the kitchen table. Well, with the dining room table, it's a little bit... I'm, Wherever you have it, just make sure you open it. I remember, yes, yes, uh, the, the voice of mine is reminding me that Father Branken, my classmate, has a huge Bible. I, I should, we should post the picture of him uh, reading his, his giant Bible on the web. People get a kick out of that. We'll do that. All right, let us then go to the big book on the coffee table, and we will read from the book of Revelation. This is the fourth chapter, the first verse and following. I, John, had a vision of an open door to heaven, and I heard the trumpet-like voice that had spoken to me before saying, come up here and I will show you what must happen afterwards. Doesn't say when afterwards, just afterwards. At once I was caught up in spirit. Now, whatever does that mean? Uh, you know, I was caught up in spirit. You know, you'd think I'd know what that means, but I... It has taken me a very long time to to really become well at least to 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 think about what I I think it means. I I tell you constantly that that the word spirit means breath. That's what it means. Pneuma. It's a Greek word for breath, uh, and it. I was caught up in the breath. What in the name of sweet heavenly glory does that mean? And it's fascinating because um, they say in the translation that, that if I can pull up the Greek text here, which I, I can do, yes, I was uh, uh, caught up in, in the spirit, 
it doesn't say that. Some translations say in the spirit. I was caught up in spirit. It doesn't say the. And, you know, we have this very well-enunciated theology of, of the, uh, um, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, now I'm going to get really obscure. Do you ever think of what the means? What does it mean, the? Well, it means a specific spirit. Greek had that, that article. They had the. Greek didn't have a. What does a mean? Well, just anything. When you didn't see the article, you translated into English as a. So this is, I was caught up in a spirit. <laughs> That's fascinating. We always think, well, you we must be caught up in the Holy Spirit. He was caught up in, 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 a, in a spirit. Uh, he was caught up in a breath. And the thing about breath is it means something is living. Um, I don't know if I can sufficiently communicate this, but things are very solid and very, you know, real. But breath, you know, breath is, is there's a contemporary Christian song that said that, uh, that uh, heaven is only a stone's throw away. Heaven is just a breath away. Breath has to do with life. And so he was caught up in a, a living experience. Uh, so I don't know if this means anything to you, but, but it's not necessarily the Holy Spirit. He's caught up in a breath. And then he goes to the throne of heaven, and it's all these wonderful, wonderful gems. Uh, and it's just incomprehensible. He, he sees 24 uh, other thrones, for 24 elders. Now, what, what's 24 mean? I think I've told you a number of times that that um, uh, when you see the number twelve in the Bible, it refers to government, and this is twice twice twelve. So this is this fullness of government. At least that's where I read it. They're dressed in in white garments. It's it's really something. But I want to jump down to in the center of the throne, there were four living spirits, covered with eyes in front and in back. What is what is that? This must have been—I mean, if you take this literally, this is this hideous, ugly thing. But there's a, there's a meaning to this. It's very interesting. Greek has a number of words for seeing and a number of words for knowing. Uh, to know something, to have, for instance, mastered the subject, is gignosko, which is actually related to our word for know. Have you ever noticed the K in know? Kno? Well, that's— that's an Indo-European thing. And gnosko is related to our word for kno. We just don't pronounce the K. So there's that word gnosko, but there's a more interesting word for no, which has to do with, I think, if I'm interpreting it properly, has to do with a fuller and more personal knowledge. And that's, <clears throat> that's oida, which is the past tense of edo, which means I see. In Greek, this kind of intimate and personal knowledge um, that was kind of experiential really meant I have seen, as in seeing is believing. I've seen. So these, are, these beings are covered with eyes. In other words, they are all seeing and thus all knowing, or I don't know about all, but pretty much. And then I'm going to talk about this in the Word of the Day. The, the first creature resembled a lion. The second was like a calf. The third, the face of a man. And the fourth looked like an eagle in flight. Uh, this is lifted almost verbatim from the book of Ezekiel, the first chapter. If you look at Ezekiel 1, uh, 
we see the, the vision of Ezekiel about the four living creatures. Their wings were touching one another. They did not turn as they moved. Now, this is Ezekiel. Each one went straight ahead. The form of their face was that of a man, and each of the four had the face of a lion on the right side, the face of an ox on the left side, also the face of an eagle. So this is, this is a, a lift from, from Ezekiel. Um, so uh, I, I just think this, this is, this is uh, the visionary is looking into the same thing that Ezekiel saw. He's being given a glimpse into the same heaven as Ezekiel. So moving along here. All right, the four living creatures, six wings, and they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, which is a stock phrase in Judaism uh, that, that uh, uh, we get the holy, holy, holy. Uh, this is related to our, our prayer at the Mass, holy, holy, holy. Uh, and I wouldn't be at all surprised if it came into the, the Roman liturgy from, from this text. But it's also a stock phrase in Judaism, kadosh, 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 uh, holy, holy, holy. So... Uh, he's describing the, the worship of the heavenly court. You know, the book of Revelation seems so obscure to us in so many ways. However, Dr. Hahn ascribes a few things to his conversion, if I remember the story properly. One of them is the book of Revelation. He had begun to read some obscure author, uh, uh, a guy named uh, Ratzinger, and he thought, is this guy a German Presbyterian? And then he found he's a Catholic cardinal? It was great stuff. And then he read Humane Vitae, and this was great. He'd always assumed that Catholics had no use for the Bible. And when he started reading Catholic things, they were full of Bible. And so he, he sort of steeled himself to go uh, to a Catholic Mass. So he went to some church where in the basement crypt there was a Mass going on. And he sat there with his Bible open beside him in the, in the back pew. Again, um, this is a story being filtered through me, so it might not be perfectly accurate. Accurate enough. But um, uh, he said he realized he was sitting in the book of Revelation. I really believe the best book written on the book of Revelation, at least for my lights, since the book itself was written, is Dr. Hahn's book, uh, uh, The Supper of the Lamb. Or is it The Lamb's Supper? I can never remember. It's the, Lamb's, it's the Lamb's Supper. I always call it Supper of the Lamb because that's how it comes out in Spanish. But The Lamb's Supper, it is excellent. And it makes the point that the book of Revelation is is a correlating of the liturgy on earth and the liturgy in heaven. And that's what's going on here. The, 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 the worship of the heavenly court is being described. So, uh, you know, this book's about the end of the world. I, I think I've shared this with you a number of times, but the word apocalypse really means, as far as a Greek-speaking Jew would be con concerned, it really means the wedding. Now, I've, of course, known some apocalyptic marriages, as I've said, but that's not that's not what it means. Uh, the, the word apocalypse literally means the unveiling. When a uh, a Jew marries, uh, it's 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 not unusual for Orthodox Jews, at least in times past. I don't know if this is still true, but in times past, the bride and groom may have never even met on their until their wedding day, <clears throat> and. Uh, uh, it's an arranged thing. Your parents know who you should marry. They know you probably. They know you better than you do. Uh, so if your parents have problems with who you're going to marry, find out why. But that's something on the side. But the 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 family of the bride and the family of the groom and the bride and groom meet. 
before the wedding to sign the marriage contract. And before the contract is signed, the groom looks under the veil. He unveils the bride. And I asked Rabbi Lefkowitz, why do you do that? And he said, so that no one will pull a fast one on us like they did on our ancestor Jacob when he married Leah instead of Rachel. They have long memories. So you look under the veil and then you sign the contract. Everybody has a schnapps, which isn't that horrible peppermint stuff they talk about in Wisconsin. Schnapps in Yiddish and in German is any liquor that's strong enough to take the paint off the wall. They have a schnapps, then they go to wherever the wedding's going to be, and they are married under the chuppah, the, the, the canopy. So uh, this is an unveiling. It's the sort of sneak preview. You get to look at the bride before you sign the contract. And that's what the book of Revelation is about. The high point of the book of Revelation we're going to see is in toward the end, when he, I think is it the 21st chapter, in which John says, I saw the new Jerusalem descend out of heaven, adorned as a bride for her husband. So this is about the, 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 the liturgy in heaven and the liturgy on earth. The liturgy in heaven and the liturgy on earth are about Christ and his bride, the church. Uh, it's, it's just a beautiful thing. And when we t- take, it, take it apart and say, well, this clearly means that in 28 years a great power will arise somewhere, you know, people aren't getting it. They, they, they aren't getting what this is about. And, of course, uh, there, my mouse has fled to another screen. I got it again. All right, well, let's, let's go to the gospel. Let's go to the gospel. This is, this is a fun one. Uh, this is a tough gospel. This is not one of people's favorite gospels. While people were listening to Jesus speak, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near Jerusalem, and they thought the kingdom of God would appear there immediately. Now remember, I define kingdom of God in a way that nobody else does. So again, take it with a grain of salt. So um, the, the, the kingdom of God, I always translate it as the royal nature of God. Basilia is the word. And a king is a basilus, and kingdom is the word translated as king is basilia. It means God's royalty. So the, the kingdom parables are telling us what God's royalty is like. It's not like the royalty of the world. It's a royalty of service, of sacrifice, of love, not a royalty of dumping on people. Well, people are thinking that this royalness of God, that the reign of God, I've heard it described as the reign of God, which is also a good way to describe it. Uh, I've also heard the kingdom of God uh, described as the heart in which God is king. I think that's also appropriate. So it's a much more inclusive term than we mean by kingdom. When we say kingdom, we mean a, a, a geographical territory or a political system. It, it can mean all those things, but they flow from the nature of a king. And he says, don't, don't count on it. A nobleman went off to a distant country to obtain the basilea, the kingdom for himself. I think it's the same word. I should look it up. I'll look it up in the break just to make sure. And if I'm wrong, I'll tell you. But it, to obtain a kingdom for himself. I mean, how do you obtain a king? You go overseas and you, go, you leave the country to get, a, to get a kingdom. It means to be appointed king. And the Romans thought they had the right to appoint kings, a, an anointed king, a crowned king could not enter into the central district of Rome. There was something called the Pomerium, the sacred boundary. And if you were a king, you were not allowed to pass. And if you were a crown prince, you could. But if you were a crowned and anointed king, you could not enter into the central area of Rome, the forum, the temples, all that. Because the poorest Roman citizen considered himself superior to a king because he was a Roman and the king was not. So... um, This nobleman went off to, to a distant country to obtain a kingdom himself. There's somebody who actually did that. 
It was Herod the Great. He was no king. He was a, a political ward boss who finagled himself into the Maccabee family and was ennobled uh, a court official. And uh, then when uh, uh, the great wars between Julius Caesar and Pompey and all of these things, and then, you know, Augustus, Augustus his, his adopted son and great-nephew, all these people fighting for control of, of, of the Roman Empire, well, Herod sided with Pompey and Cleopatra. He lost, <laughs> uh, as played by Liz Taylor. No, he, she didn't play Herod the Great, but no, moving along. Uh, Herod the Great, uh, as soon as Pompey was defeated, got on a fast boat, I believe to the island of Cyprus, where Octavian Augustus, who had just defeated Pompey and captured Egypt, was holding court. And he said to Augustus, the emperor, the new emperor, who was a young man, I think he was in his 20s at the time, said, I was, I was absolutely loyal to Pompey. He's dead. I will be absolutely loyal to you. And Augustus was so amused by that, he said, sure enough. And he had the Senate make Herod the king of the Jews. So the Romans thought they had the right to confer kingship on people, and that's how Herod the Great got to be king. And he spent the rest of his life trying to convince the Jews that he would be king. So that brings us to the parable. This is kind of a humorous account of, again, I always say there's humor in the parable. Some of them are pure jokes. Well, he's dissing Herod the Great, the father of the current monarchs of the kingdom. So he gave each of his ten servants, he called ten of his servants and gave them ten gold coins. There, were, there was a, 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 a minah, that's what, that's what the, the, the coin was, minah. It was a minah. And it was, uh, I think, a hundred drachmas. A drachma was probably worth in our money about a hundred day. It was a, a day's wage. This was about a hundred thousand uh, uh, dollars uh, I think it was about a hundred thousand dollars per person. Uh, uh, the mina was 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 uh, ten thousand. So ten servants got a hundred thousand dollars apiece. Said engage in trade with these, and so uh, uh, they sent a delegation after him. Announced, we don't want this man to be our king. They did not want him to be king. The Jews did not want Herod to be king. But he obtained the 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 the, the basilea. He obtained the kingdom. And he called in the servants and uh, uh, quizzes them. For the first one comes in. Now, who are these people with the coins? They are not servants. They are slaves. The word in Greek is doulos. He owned the coins. He owned the people investing them. Uh, he owned the whole schmear. So, well done, good slave. You've been faithful in a small matter. Take charge of ten cities. Your gold coin has earned five more. Take charge of five cities. Here's your gold coin. I kept it under a rock. I, I stored away in a handkerchief because I was afraid of you. And, and what happens? He says, I knew you were a demanding man. Uh, he said, why didn't you put it in a bank where it would have at least gotten interest? Take the coin from him and give it to the servant who has ten. Sir, he has ten gold coins. He replied, I tell you, to everyone who has more and more will be given. That's not fair. That's not nice. Understand that if you do a job well, you know what you're going to get? More responsibility. This well, These weren't their coins. These guys were supposed to invest the money and make money for their owner. 
And when he says, I'll put you in charge of 10 cities, that didn't mean you could loll about uh, uh, enjoying the, the profit from 10 cities. No, the master would get the profit. You were in charge of the cities. You had to manage 10 cities. You do a good job at something, and they give you more responsibility. So he didn't give them their freedom. Now, in the other version of this, the the the, the slave who uh, um, uh, he didn't make the money, well, he was given his freedom. In other words, he was thrown out of the household. This is the end line. Now, as for those enemies of mine who did not want me as their king, bring them here and slay them before me. That's pure Herod. Herod the Great had, I think, was it the thousand most prominent citizens of the Holy Land of the Jews uh, arrested when he saw death coming, and he gave orders to slaughter them upon his de death, so at least there would be weeping in Israel when he died. That was Herod the Great, the killer of the babies, the killer of anyone who crossed him, the killer of the, the Maccabee family. He killed his own wife, whom he dearly loved, Mariamne the Maccabee princess. That's pure Herod. Now, as for those enemies of mine who did not want me as their king, bring them here and slay them before me. Oh, by the way, the thousand or so who were arrested, I think it was a thousand, they were released. They weren't. They weren't slaughtered, and there was no weeping in Israel when Herod Herod the Great died. Um, but but that that line, people read that and say that's not right. You said this king slaughtered them. That means God's going to slaughter them. No, this is he's talking about Herod. He's dissing Herod. He's using Herod. They're expecting that the kingdom of God will come. Say no, don't count on it. Not right now. <laughs> You're going to get noblemen who are just jumped up uh, uh, politicians uh, who think they're kings, and the Romans have made them kings. You know, the kingdom of God is, as he says elsewhere, among you and within you. All right, let's go to a break. We will come back. We're going to have more time for phone calls today. So 888 914 888-9149. This hour is sponsored by Ave Maria Mutual Funds, where financial goals are aligned with pro-life values and fund decisions are based on investment fundamentals designed to preserve and grow wealth without violating moral beliefs. More information at AveMariaFunds.com. I know King Jesus is my friend. Yes, he saved my soul from sin. I'm so happy. My Savior took me in I laid down my earthly ways I grow stronger day by day Twas a wonderful notice, feeling Lord, He calls Jesus his friend But he's still laying down his earthly ways He's your friend, but first he's your Lord. Mm, that's different. Well, all right, that said, we are going to go to one letter that I do want to read. I want to take all our phone calls today, but one letter. I got a letter from Jeffrey asking for prayer for Father, uh, Father. Uh, we'll just call him Father Bill, uh, um, who's at St. Catherine's Parish, um, uh, who's had a heart attack. And Lord, we ask you to bless him and to, to strengthen him and to to restore him to health. And there's a couple of priests up by me who are sick and uh, they're just desperately looking for priests to fill in for the weekend. So, um, so Lord, we ask you to bless uh, Father Scrobin and, 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 uh, uh, and this Father Bill and, and Father Barr and so many, so many uh, of these good men. We ask you to bless them and to heal them. And, you know, the priesthood is, is, 
is I don't know how to put it. It's in flux at the moment. It's 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 changing greatly in its relationship to people. And uh, you know, I just would urge you. Maybe it's a little bit of a prejudice on my part, but I would urge you to pray for, especially for diocesan priests, for all priests, but pray for diocesan priests because. Um, um, uh, the priesthood, uh, the expectations of the priesthood, I know, are so different from the time that I was ordained uh, to now. Uh, and um, and I was ordained, I think, in a class of, I think there were 38 of us. And now an ordination class of two is is considered a good size. And I, I think we really need to to think about the, the role of the priesthood. And um, I know people are thinking about it, but... Um, uh, uh, there's the great danger of, of uh, I, I'll just be honest, that um, that changing from the idea of the parish as a family to the parish as a, uh, a business that renders a service. The Catholic Church is not a business that renders service. It has to deal with money, so there are business elements. But when the church or the parish becomes a business and forgets that it's a family— then it ceases, I think, to be the Church of Christ. The Church, we look at her as an organization, but the Lord looks at her as a bride and a mother, and uh, uh, I think that we need to make sure we never lose that perspective. I've known that uh, many people who are not ordained and don't have a theological education, they come into the work of religion just glowing because they're going to do something for the Lord. But pretty soon... They realize there's that, that 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 there's a lot of business and they succumb to it. So, if you are one of the uh, people who is support staff, please don't forget that that you need to be holy, not just the priests, but I think that the people who work in the rectories, the people who work in the chancery office, if they're not holy, well, the church will lose its mission. And I I, I think that that as we look at the priesthood, uh, and I, I I say it, the, the priesthood needs real. I don't know the right word for it, but it it needs real study and real um, um, attention, especially the diocesan priesthood. And uh, if we forget that the priesthood is about holiness, then then we might as well not bother with it. Holy priests, a holy parish staff. If you're on a parish staff, you have a, a a requirement of holiness. If you work in a chancery office, there's a requirement of holiness. And if you don't take that seriously, you become the problem. Uh, and if you are a parish priest who's overwhelmed by business and you forget that your calling is to be holy, which in my life I often did, then I became the problem. All right, that pleasant thought. Let us go to phone calls. Buddy the Elf, what's your favorite color? You know, I think we're going to have plenty of time for phone calls today because I just want to do that one letter. And we'll do some more letters over the next couple of days. But 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Whom do we have? Oh, I can see it. Jenny. Are you with us? Jenny from Scottsdale. Yes, Father. Uh, I know that the liturgy of the hours is the prayer of the church. Mm-hmm. Should we find a, a way to have joy when we read it? Sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes not. That's the point of it. You know, for me, uh, the spiritual life is, is in, involves uh, the whole person. 
If you just have a skeleton, well, that doesn't work. But if you just have muscles and no skeleton, well, that's a problem. You'll just be a quivering mass on the floor. You need to form a body. You need bones and you need muscles. And yes. the, the liturgy of the hours provides a structure. When I don't feel like praying, which often I don't, I have an obligation. Now, a layperson does not have this obligation. Deacons, priests, sisters, bishops, we must pray the Liturgy of the Hours, at least the morning and evening prayer, under the penalty of serious sin. That's what I was taught, unless we have a, 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 a real excuse, not just a fake one. Like, I'm tired. That's not an excuse. Like, travel can be an excuse. Uh, a funeral can be an excuse. But I have to say it. And if I don't feel like saying it, and I haven't gotten it said, and it's the end of the day, I have to say it before I go to bed. And it's a discipline. But then other times, it's such a joy. So it's both. You know, if you don't have a structure in your prayer life, there's nothing that's going to hold you to an objective standard. You know, well, I just pray spontaneously. That's wonderful, but... There are going to be times when you don't feel like praying spontaneously. You know, I'm sure Jesus really felt like going to Calvary. Oh, yeah, he was all in—you see what I mean? I'm being a little bit sarcastic, maybe flippant. But Jesus begged his Father not to send him to the ultimate prayer, which is Calvary. So he didn't feel like going to Calvary, and sometimes I don't feel like praying. But I have the structure of the breviary, and sometimes it is a great joy, and sometimes it is a great responsibility. But— Joy or responsibility, I say it. Does that does that help? Does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Good, good, good. Just, just, just do it. Uh-huh. Just do it. And if the Lord wants to give you a blessing of joy, there you go. Exactly. And you know there are there are uh, to make it easier for anybody who's curious about the liturgy of the hours. It's not that complicated. And don't tell Cardinal Sarah I said this, but you can get an app. He thinks we should use a book, but you can get an app on your phone, which is great. You can even listen to it as you walk. It's great. So uh, there you go. Hope that helps. Thanks so much for calling in. God bless you, Jenny. Let's now go to Sandy, who's calling in from Naperville. Naperville. Hi, Father. The Naperville Quarry, where I used to go swimming as a boy. Yes. (laughs) Now it's kind of fancy schmancy. It looks like a beach, but it was a quarry. What can I do for you, Sandy? So I have a question. Um, I have a friend that had used a empty jar, different jars. She's very devout. She's very holy. She uses a lot of holy water. And so she uses a large jar to fill up her bottles. And it could be like an empty spaghetti jar. I think she might have used uh, a clear uh, maybe like an empty uh, lysine jar or something, mouthwash jar. But they were clean. She reverently uses it, but was told that you can't put holy water in those and that you're using too much holy water, basically. <laughs> the well, I mean, you don't want to overdose on holy water. I, that's ridiculous. You're using too much holy so, water. If she's using it in a superstitious way, maybe. But it sounds like she just likes holy water. And I I, I think that, you know, 
Well, there's a dilemma now because they gave her a little bottle that she's supposed to use. I think it's eight ounces that she was told she has to fill it up in that thing. I now. would, I, I, I know. Well, you know, obedience is pleasing to the Lord. So yeah. tell her that and say, maybe this is something okay. that the Lord wants you to have. And, and obedience will protect her from the, the snares of the enemy. But, um, uh, you know that that uh, you know that there. I, yeah, I wondered the concern of the priest may not be ridiculous because I, I worked in the in the uh, uh, the Puerto Rican community for a long time and uh, among not so much anymore. But traditionally, among Cubans, Puerto Ricans, Haitians, uh, there's a lot of what they called spiritism, a, a kind of voodoo, and they would use a lot of holy water. And if someone came with gallon jugs of holy water, my immediate suspicion at that time was, hmm, I wonder if they're indulging in, in um, Santeria or, or Espiritismo, one of those, uh, uh, or Condomble, the, the Brazilian form of it. Um, so maybe that's their concern. Just tell her that if she says, okay, um, and uh, uh, take it as a discipline from the Lord, and the Lord will reward that. You can have her listen to this or, you know, on the uh, okay. Or on the podcast, or, or or even have her call me. But that does seem a little bit, you know, all right. a thanks, little bit Father. odd. All right. Well, thank you, and thanks for listening. All right. All uh, right. Let us go to Brother John. Brother John, you're with us again from Fairlawn. What can I do for you, Brother John? Yes, I'd like to just reassert the teaching of the Church is to save souls. It's really that everywhere. Families may not be the greatest, individuals may not be the greatest, but priests in the confessional, in the internal forum, must direct these people to save their souls all over the planet where a priest is. Give them direction about the teaching of the Catholic Church inside the internal forum of confession and get them into heaven when they die at the last time of uh, their sacraments. That is the the entire purpose of the Catholic Church, and stressing families and anything else like that that's color-coded with nice talk is not doing the job. You've got to save souls as a priest. A person goes in to see a priest, and he gets answers about the Catholic Church, and he gets very clear answers. There's no doubt. Well, that, that was certainly true for someone like Padre Pio, no doubt. No, you're absolutely right, Brother John, that, 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 um, uh, that, that, that we don't ever talk about that, the salvation of souls. And, you know, uh, I often mention people I know who've died and lived to tell about it, you know, the beyond and back experience. And everybody talks about the light in the tunnel. There are a lot of people who don't talk about a light in the tunnel. I remember meeting one kid who, who found himself sinking into this, blackness where he knew it was going to be for a long time. And uh, I've met people who, who I, one, one person I, I know quite well, he said, uh, when I was talking about this uh, to some relatives of his, he said, no, oh, it's all nonsense. I know it because I died. When you're dead, you're dead. Then he came up to me privately and said, I wasn't dead. I was in hell. There's a real heaven and there's a real hell. And the church exists primarily to get us into heaven, into the the. the right relationship with God. So you're absolutely right, Brother John. And we have forgotten that. I mean, uh, there's so much in my seminar training about universal salvation. And that just is not biblical, and it isn't, I don't think, true.
So, well, thanks for calling in, brother. You're absolutely right, and it's good to hear the reminder that this is about the salvation of souls to get you in union with God in such a way that you will be happy with him forever. Uh, you know, uh, people seem to have so little purpose for life. When I was a kid, we learned in the catechism, uh, why did God make me? God made me to know, love, and serve him in this world and to be happy with him forever. Pretty simple. I know what life is for. It's to know, love, and serve God and to be happy with him forever. Hey, it's it's a living. So you're absolutely right, Brother John. So thanks so much for calling in. God bless you. Let us go to a break. We're going to come back with a weird word of the day. Uh, and uh, then we will take more phone calls at 888-914-9149. 888-914-9149. We got plenty of space for phone calls. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters Flexible Premium Life Insurance. For less than $12 a month, a 40-year-old can get a half million dollars of coverage. Go to RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester today. An Illinois Life Insurance Society. Not available in all states. Turn your eyes upon advice turn your eyes upon Jesus uh, and look full in his wonderful face and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace love that song well let us go to the word of the day you keep using the word I don't think it means what you think it means <laughs> oh this reminds me to tell you to take what I say with a grain of salt because, well, there's the salt shaker, because uh, I'm pretty sure about these words and their meanings, but you never know. The word cherub, you know, the, the, let's, let's look at the reading today. Uh, where did I put the reading today? Right there. Uh, and that first reading from the book of Revelation, in the center around the throne, there were four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back, the first creature resembled a lion. The second was like a calf. The third had a face like that of a man. The fourth looked like an eagle in flight. And I told you that it's lifted from Ezekiel. So let's go to Ezekiel. Um, the I looked and I saw a windstorm, an immense cloud, and the, the center of the fire looked like glowing metal. And in the fire, what looked like four living creatures, in appearance their form was human, but each of them had four faces and wings. Their legs were straight, their feet were like those of a calf, and gleamed like burnished bronze under their wings. On the four sides, they had human hands. Their faces, we're jumping down to verse 10, their faces looked like this. Each of the four had the face of a human being. On the right side, uh, the face of uh, uh, had the face of a lion, on the left the face of an ox, each also had the face of an eagle. So what's going on here? In John, you've got uh, um, a man, an eagle, a lion, and a calf, I think. Is that what you got in John? And then in Ezekiel, you've got, I know, I gotta look at John again. This is very confusing stuff. At least I get confused by it. Okay, let's go back to this. Uh, in, in, in the book of Revelation, uh, 
you got four creatures that resemble a lion, a calf, a man, and an eagle. And in Ezekiel, you've got uh, creatures who have four faces, uh, uh, and they they look like a, a man and a lion and an ox and the face of an eagle. This is all kind of confusing. Well, the the, the word of the day is going to be cherub. This idea that that in John, it's it's slightly different. Uh, um, that 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 you got a man and a calf and a a, a, a lion. What is all this about? Well, they came to be to represent the four gospels. You will see those uh, uh, symbolized. Uh, uh, as sort of in icons as the four Gospels. Uh, one looks like an eagle because it soars up. I forget which represent which. I think the, the calf resembles uh, um, uh, or represents Luke because Luke was um, uh, about the temple. It was about sacrifice and, and so on. So they're different, uh, different uh, uh, interpretations of it. But the, what I really want to talk about is a cherub. A cherub had the body of either a calf or a bull and the head of a bull or perhaps a lion, but the face of a man. And when we think of cherubs, we think of those cute little angels that flutter about in the holy pictures. Those were not cherubs. Cherubs were these big, ferocious-looking beasts that, that, that come from a word meaning to, to, to guard I believe it's it's uh, from a, a, an Akkadian word meaning to guard and to to take care of, but uh, um, these were powerful beings, powerful beings, and so when you th- see a little cherub in art that's a cute little baby uh, with little wings, that's not what they thought of as a cherub. A cherub was a a huge animal that had the face of a man, but the body and even the head of of a beast. So it's all kind of, well, it's kind of psychedelic. So I don't know if that's useful, but next time you see a little angel, those are called putti in Italian. The putti. I don't know what putti means, but that's what they are. A cherub. If you ever see a cherub, that'll be scary. One was placed with a flaming sword uh, uh, to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. Or was that a, I don't know, that was a seraph with a flaming sword, but I think a cherub was guarding it too. At any rate, uh, that said, let's go to phones. Donna from Pennsylvania, what can I do for you after that incoherent word of the day? Hi, Father. How are you doing? Pretty good. Pretty good. What can I do for you? Okay. I, oh, I wanted to know what the difference was between Liturgy of the Hours and Vespers. Ah, Vespers is one of the hours. Vispera means evening in, in Greek. This, or in Latin, rather. Uh, there were... Two hours of sacrifice, uh, the morning and the evening sacrifice in the temple. And there were psalms that accompanied them. And so that developed into the liturgy of the hours. One of them was the morning prayer, one of them was evening prayer. Vespers is evening prayer. To this we add the other hours of prayer. We add, uh, because the, the priests would get up in the middle of the night before sunrise to prepare for their liturgy, and there were psalms said, so that 
that we call that the office of readings, or or we used to call it, what do we used to call it? Matins, I think, early morning prayer. And then you had morning prayer, and then you would have midday prayer, and then you would have evening prayer, and then you would have night prayer. And you could add to those mid-afternoon, mid-afternoon prayer. So the different hours of prayer that consecrate the day. Vespers is one of those hours. Does that answer your question? Oh, thank you very much. I never knew that. Well, now I know. There you go. <laughs> hey. Thank you so much, Father. <laughs> there we go. You Let's, have a good afternoon. Thank you. Well, let's go to line five. We have Father Joe on online. Father Joe, what can I do for you? I have a couple questions for you, Father Simon. Oh, dear. Uh, one, is, <laughs> one of them is, um, um, would you uh, recommend a concordance or uh, a a computer program that helps look up the words in the scripture along with the readings of the day or the readings of the book. Oh, oh, oh. You know, you I know, like Logos yeah. or one of those. Well, you know, the one that I use, and now nobody listen, just, I'm just talking to Father Joe here. It'll, it'll, it'll give me away because I always say I'm not really a scholar, I just play one on the radio. I use Bible Hub. You know, we Catholics, the Bible, Bible Hub, okay. it's real simple. You know, you and me, being raised Catholic, we listen to the scriptures our whole life, and we don't know line and verse, but we know the passage. Uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Okay, or, or uh, uh, another good one, uh, uh, the verse, uh, though he was, he knew not sin, he who knew not sin became sin for us. You just type that in and then type two words after Bible Hub. It will pop up and it will give you the Greek text. It will give you the Greek text uh, uh, transliterated with English, with, you know, Roman letters, the letters we usually use. It will give you the citations. It, it's, it's, it's really, I find it very useful. And there are other good ones, I know, but, but it doesn't coordinate it to the reading. But I'll read the reading and I'll just go to the... Text and click oh, in the, the thing. Bible Hub. It's really simple. Okay, the rest of you can listen again. So there. Yeah. The other question I have. Yeah. I have one more question. Sure. And that is, would you ever consider doing the readings the day before, uh, so that I can use? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'll I'll talk to my superiors about it, but I think that they I think they like the idea of the 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 reading. Uh, um, you know, uh, with the day, but I'll, I'll bring it up and see what they say. You know, as, as the centurion said, I am a man under orders. So there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll broach the topic. How's that? All right. Okay. All right. Thanks. Father John, I'm honored that you listen. God bless you. Bye. Bye. Let's now go to Robert. Who's calling from Watoma, Wisconsin. Robert, what can I do for you? Yeah. Hello, father. Um, thank you for taking my call. Uh, I have a question, another one, about the uh, book of Revelation, yes. uh, chapter 4, verse 11. Okay. The question is that in my Magnificent this morning, I was reading uh, at the last of the 11th verse, uh, for you created all things because of your will they came to be and were created. And in my Dewey Reams, it says, because thou hast created all things, and for thy will they were and have been created. Oh, good grief. And I was just wondering about the little words there, because well, of thy will and for thy will. Well, let, let, us, let us look at the text as, as she is writ. 
Let's see here. Is this oh dear, let me find the right the right cheat thing here. Oh dear, I just told Father about Bible Hub and now I can't find it, but I'll find it. Okay. Oh, you were listening. You were cheating. I found it. I found it. Oh, now, now the mouse has escaped. Uh, come on. Where'd the mouse go? Oh, I click control. It's on a screen. Oh, there's a... I think it's... No, it's not there. Oh, Gavalt. So, how have you been? Let's see. Come on, mouse. I've totally lost the mouse. It seems to be... It, it's, it's over here, but it won't move. Oh. Oh, I found it. I found it. Ah, we're good. We're golden. Okay, good. Okay. Worthy are you, O Lord, our God, right? That's the text that we're looking at. Revelations 4, 11. Okay. Axios Kyrios. Theos. Lamin Doxon. Timon. Dunamin. Okay. You have you have made all things through, and the word in Greek is, is by means of, uh, uh, or through your will. Uh, this is interesting. It's it's uh, through your will, uh, by means of your will, you will these things into being. That's as far as I can tell. Uh, let me just click on that, and that won't click, but that's all right. That's pretty much what it means. Dia is uh, 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 a word in Greek that means through, like diameter. That means to measure through something, but it also can can mean. Uh, by means of or because of your will. Uh, so I don't know, does that answer your question? Yeah, uh, pretty much so. It was just that in uh, Dewey Reims, and for thy will, I'm thinking almost like uh, the first uh, commandment for God. We were created and uh, to love and, uh, you well, know, for. I, I think it, it means that also. Um, it, it means... Uh, um, all things were created. There's a, a beautiful verse taken from uh, the Didache, which is a very ancient Christian text. It's almost, some scholars think it was written before some of the books of Scripture. It's certainly written by about 100 A.D. And it says, Thou hast made all for thy pleasure. Yes. Yeah, he's made everything. You know, I heard someone once say that God is like, a child, <laughs> you know, you must be like a little child, anything you have. Well, God is like nothing so much as a, a, a seven or eight-year-old. You give a seven or eight-year-old an anthill and a stick, and that kid's good for the afternoon. Why did God make all these bugs and that sort of thing? Because they're really cool. God is the ultimate artist. He made all of these things because they're wonderfully beautiful. And, and he made all things for his pleasure. But us he made that we might love him eternally. So, so... Uh, because of his will, he made all these things. And by means of his will, I think that that probably is the way to read it. All right. I hope that helps a little. And, uh, well, D Drew is coming up, and he helps a lot. <laughs>